The scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Again, that's Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. That's page 908 in your pew Bibles. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed onto him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Good morning. That's not a good start. It is good to see each of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. It encourages us to have you here. Uh, We're thankful to have Roger and Joyce, Miss Helene, and we look forward to worshiping and serving God together. And what a wonderful weekend we've had to stop and to spend a little extra time with family, to spend extra time in thinking about things that we're grateful for. Uh, Many of us have completed lists that are a hundred long of various things that come to mind of which we're thankful. Let's make sure that that attitude of gratitude describes our life year-round, that it's not just something for this particular week. Let's make sure that we allow that attitude of gratitude to put us in a position that we realize that there's a great God that is worthy of our service and that in serving God, we want to reach out to other people. And today we'll study benevolence, the idea of reaching out in acts of kindness and charitable gifts to others uh, to serve. Little boy was on the porch and the doorbell was extra high and, and he just couldn't reach it. He kept stretching and stretching and there was a elderly gentleman that was walking down the street. He was a faithful Christian, a good man. Folks loved him in the community. And he looked over and he noticed the little boy and he didn't think a lot about it. And he kept watching him jump and struggle. And finally he thought, you know, the Lord would want me to go help a child like that, that, that's in such a simple need that would be so easy for me to provide. And, And so he crosses the street and he goes up the sidewalk and he climbs the steps to the porch and he lays his hand on the the boy's shoulder and he smiles at him and he reaches over and he says, let me help you, son. And he reaches up to that high doorbell and he gives it a long, solid ring. And then he, he bows down to him and he says, now, is there anything else I can help you do? And with the biggest grin, the little boy says, yeah, now we run took off. You know, benevolence just doesn't always work out the way that we think it's going to. You know, one of the most frequent questions that I'm asked as it relates to benevolence is, what do I do when someone asks me to help them and I don't really know if what they're wanting is righteous or legitimate? 
You know, what do we do about the fellow that walks into the parking lot and, and asks us for $5 when by appearance and smell, it smells like he's probably going to go to a liquor store, but he suggests that he's going to buy lunch. That's difficult. Our desire as Christians is to truly help people, not enable them to do wrong. But you know what I love when people ask that question? I love the fact that they're asking it. Because that means they have a heart that wants to do the right thing. I hope you and I struggle as long as we live with how is it that I really help people in the way that God would want me to help them. When we stop struggling with that, we've probably ceased being benevolent. This lesson is really one of three lessons that Brother Baxter puts together in the book that we've been studying through. It has been such a blessing to study this quarter as we bring this quarter to an end. We've been thinking about the work of the church, and we've studied about evangelism, and we've studied about edification, which is the idea of growing individuals and collectively the church. We edify each other. In other words, we we help the church to grow. But this morning, we think about benevolence as we think about a third major part of the work of the church. When you look up the word benevolence in the dictionary, notice this definition. It is a desire to do good to others, goodwill, charitableness, to be filled with benevolence toward one's fellow creatures. Now notice the second definition here. An act of kindness, a charitable gift. You know, when you look at those two areas, that encompasses a lot of our life. When you think about charitable gifts and then you think about acts of kindness. In other words, there's there's sacrificial things that we do with our time, our energy, our abilities. And when we're doing that to help someone else, we're serving in a benevolent nature. Other times we take our possessions, we take things that we own or things that we can find resources to provide for someone else. And in that, it's a charitable deed that falls again under the umbrella of benevolence. And so when we think about that in such a broad scope, surely a day could not go by that a faithful Christian would not be benevolent towards someone in some way. It may not mean that every day we give someone some money. But every day we ought to be willing to give someone either an act of benevolence or a deed or even resource of benevolence. As we think about this, I'd like for you to think again to the text that Clay so capably read for us just a moment ago. Did you notice there that we begin reading in verse uh, 16? We're in Luke, the fourth chapter. Now, if you have your Bible open, I want you to just notice something just prior to this. Luke 4 begins with the temptation of Jesus. When we read down to verse 13... It would be easy to see the summary of that in the beginning of 14 where it says, Then Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Because we go from one verse to the next, it would be easy for us to think, Okay, we have the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry and now we're right back to Galilee. I need to note something to really gain a full appreciation of what happens in the following verses. A year has transpired. You see, a year has gone by where Jesus has been able to develop quite a reputation as a powerful teacher. He has developed quite a reputation of one that could do miraculous deeds and heal and provide for people in ways that the common man could not do. And so he has developed this reputation and it is with this reputation that he goes back to his home. Now, notice again as we read 16 and 17. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And as his custom was, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. How many of you, if you're not living at home now, you get that feeling when you go back home? You know, obviously, with the profession that I have, I don't get to go back home very often, uh, and especially on Sundays. Uh, With my profession, children are in school five days a week, and you work another day of the week, and it only leaves one day in between to go anywhere. And you know how Saturdays are with sports and with jobs, with the kids' jobs, and etc. And so it kind of makes it difficult to travel, but especially to go back on Sunday. But you know the few times that I get to go back, and I get to just set in the congregation that I grew up in. Wow, what a feeling comes over me. A lot of reminiscing. Thinking about the guys that I grew up with, looking around and seeing my Bible class teachers, thinking about the first time I led singing there, or I led a prayer there, the first time I did a five-minute talk. You know, all those things just run through your mind. Can you imagine Jesus? Now He's began His public ministry. Now He's being known in such a powerful way, and now He's gone back home. Can you imagine what it must have been like, as His custom was? It's the way He grew up. It's what he did throughout his early adulthood. He went there to the synagogue. We don't even know if Joseph was still alive at this time. Can you imagine what might have been running through his mind as he thought maybe, I remember when I used to come here with Joseph and with Mary. He does what he grew up doing. It's a good, good lesson for us parents to think about if our children continue to do what they're doing now, Is that the kind of adults that we want them to be? But note this as we look at 17. He was handed a book of the prophet of Isaiah. Now, tradition would have it in the synagogues that the attendant would even tell where to read. And so perhaps the attendant even told him, obviously, as he handed him the scroll of Isaiah, that that is where he was to read. But what he did was he read to him from the 61st chapter of Isaiah. Now, when we read the 18 and 19, you notice that it's a prophet speaking uh, back in Isaiah 61 of Jesus. In 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, in 19, the, the prophecy stops here. But if you look at the next slide, notice in Isaiah 61, verse 2, it continued. You see, there was just a comma at the end, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Why did Jesus stop there at the beginning to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord? Why didn't He go on to read the day of the vengeance of God? Well, if you'll note in the next slide in Luke 4, uh, 20 and 21, when He closed the book, He gave it back to the attendant and He sat down and everyone still fixed upon Him. I can't help but wonder, why was everyone still watching Jesus? He was asked to read, He read and He sat down. Did they watch him because it seemed that he stopped in the middle of a reading? That very well could have been it. 
Or maybe they were watching because they had already heard of the tremendous teaching and preaching that he had been doing. So their thought was, we're going to have him read today. And whatever has created this reputation, this talk around all of these towns and villages, he's going to do it here today. And he reads it and he simply folds the scroll and he sits down. Where's that powerful man that we've heard about? Well, notice as we read verse 21, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, that's why he stopped before he read in the day of vengeance of our God. You see, while Jesus was on the earth this time, he was not on the earth to serve the vengeance of God. While he was on the earth this time, he was here to proclaim the year of the Lord. He was here to proclaim salvation, to proclaim the Christian way, to proclaim a way of life that would lead individuals so that they could avoid the vengeance of God. But Jesus is coming back again. And when he comes back again, there will be a great day of reward for all those that are saved. And there'll be a great day of punishment or vengeance for all those that are lost. But that wasn't what Jesus was fulfilling at this time. Now, I can say the dreaded word that our our students probably hate to hear. They hate to hear of term papers, thesis statements. Or maybe some of you in business, you have written out vision statements. You know, when you write out a thesis or a vision statement, you're writing, and, and if you want to call it just a nutshell of all that you want to accomplish, what's beautiful is that in this chapter of Luke, Isaiah recorded what would be the mission statement of Jesus. Did you notice how many times he said the word me as he spoke in 18 and 19? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You see, here Jesus is being identified in his ministry as an evangelist. He's being identified as a healer, one that can take and comfort and mend people that are broken, and also emancipator, one that can free those that are in bondage. But if you'll notice in 18 and 19 there on your screen, you notice that at the bottom of the screen we have the motive. What I'd like for us to do in these next few minutes of this lesson is I'd like for us to work through this and think about if this was a description of Jesus' life and his ministry, what is it that moved Jesus to be benevolent toward others? What was it that was the greatest power in what he did in serving others? And then, bottom line, what were just some of the few action, uh, actions in Jesus' life as he served the needy and served others? And then I hope, obviously, that each of us can have those to reflect in our life also. Notice as we read again in Luke 4 and 12, 13 and and 14. And if you would be turning there, Luke 4. I want us to think about the Spirit of the Lord. And as we think about the Spirit of the Lord, I'm sorry, it's Luke 14 is where I want to go. Luke 14. When we think about the Spirit of the Lord, I want you to think about as you're turning to Luke 14... Back there in our text in Luke 4, it said, And the Spirit of the Lord pressed, the Spirit pressed upon me. The idea of of this is, is being pressed upon me. In other words, when you could ask Jesus, why is it that you do what you do? Why did you preach the gospel to the poor? Why is it that you serve the needy? And he would say it was the Spirit pressing upon me. 
when we think about that, it's, it's the idea it was the right thing to do. Let me ask you something. When you do a good deed for someone, what's your motive? That's something worth answering in your mind. What is your motive to do good toward others? Well, I, I like to be liked and I want them to like me back. That's not a very good motive. Well, I've just noticed when I help other people, they'll usually help me back in the future. That's a pretty shallow motive. How many of us can honestly say, I help others because the Spirit has called me to do that? If we truly are living by the fruit of the Spirit, we're imitating Jesus where Jesus says, this is the life I've lived because the Spirit pressed me into action. A beautiful passage in Luke 14. If you'll remember, this was the same Sabbath day that he taught that great chapter of Luke 15 where he talked about the lost uh, sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Which that same Sunday, and, and he's giving another parable that began back in verse 7, and he's talking about inviting people to a wedding feast and etc. But for time's sake, let's pick up and read 12, 13, and 14. Then he said to them, to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper... Do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Did you notice in verse 13 how similar that list is to the list in Luke 4, of the ones that Jesus said that He came to help. But notice here, He puts this in an instructive story form to say, I want you to have a feast. And I want you to have a feast just like it's the type of feast that you would invite your friends. You would invite your brothers and sisters in Christ. You would invite your relatives to this kind of feast. You would even invite your rich neighbors to this kind of feast. Oh, I've had those kind of feasts at my home, haven't you? Those are the ones where a few days out, Tracy will tell me, hey, there's a few things you need to do before company comes over Friday night. And that honeydew list comes out. It came out just this past week. And, uh, you know, and you, you have those lists of things. And, you know, I, I say to Colton early that morning, hey, when you get in from school, I've got to have your help. There's some things we've got to get done this afternoon. I was pumping gas at Kroger. And uh, you know how you get 10 cents off if you spend more than $100? We usually don't shop that much at Kroger. I put it in and I see I get 10 cents off. I think, wow, that's unusual. That usually doesn't happen. I'm thinking, I wonder why that's happening. I'm putting the gas in and ding. Oh, we have company coming over. That's why. You ever notice that company takes a lot of time? Company costs a lot of money. If you're going to feed a feast to a host of people, if you're going to get everything ready, and you're going to invite them over, he says, our nature is, invite the people that we enjoy being around, that just a company pays us back. Invite the people that you know next month or next occasion, they're going to invite you back to their home. In other words, whatever you've put out, they're going to pay you back. He says, no. 
He teaches us one of the most valuable lessons of benevolence. He says, I want you to invite people that they have no way to pay you back. In that day and time, in their society, a disabled person was pretty much a beggar. There was no possible way that they could pay back. He says, that's who I want you to invite to your home. And someone could ask out of curiosity, well, where's the payback for that? What's the benefit in that? Now think about it for just a moment. The benefit is, number one, we're doing the will of God. We're fulfilling exactly what God wants us to do. But if by our nature we say, I still need to know about a payback. Did you notice that last phrase in 14? For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Well, there'll be a payment. You know, we read in the scriptures in the Sermon on the Mount of sending treasures to heaven. That will be one of those treasures sent to heaven, no doubt. You know, <clears throat> there is a story that is told in Bardstown, Kentucky. It's a story about Louis Philippe. He was a prince. At the age of 19, during the French Revolution, it was the war against Austria, he fled the country in exile. For 21 years, he lived in Switzerland, or in the U.S., or in England. Finally, he returned back to be king. He kept diaries of that time period. When he passed through Bardstown, Kentucky, there was a religious leader at St. Joseph's Cathedral that allowed him to come in and to live for months. And this particular religious leader thought that he was a homeless man. He provided him with the food and the clothing and the shelter that he needed, and he never asked anything of him. And he never gave anything in return. As a matter of fact, it's said that when he left, the only thing that he offered to pay back was just the words, thank you. And he left. But several years later, when he returned to be king, he sent some of the most expensive paintings of the world of that day back to Bardstown, Kentucky. They boast to this day of the greatness that's held within those walls because of the generous deed of a man that thought that he was helping a homeless individual. In actuality, he was soon to be a king. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. Jesus taught us in Matthew, the 25th chapter, that when we help the least of these, my brethren... You've helped me, King of kings, Lord of lords, says. Now, isn't that interesting to think that when you and I go out and we help someone from a pure motive, when we help someone saying, I simply want to do it because it's the right thing to do. I don't see any benefit that I can have for myself on this side of eternity. I only want to do it because the Lord says to do it. The Lord says, you've helped me. And you know what? You may not see the benefits of it on this earth, but you're storing up treasures in heaven. Can you imagine opening the room in heaven and seeing magnificent paintings and being told, you remember when you helped that family? I wanted to give you something as a reward. Remember when you served that individual? 
You remember when you didn't overlook the one everyone else was overlooking? Someone says, David, do you really think that the reward is going to be paintings? I don't know. But I know this. The Lord is faithful. And He says that there will be reward that day of resurrection. As we think about the motive, I'd like for you to also think about it was anointed upon him to preach the gospel, Luke the fourth chapter. When we look at John the sixth chapter, and, and I want you to just look at this, and we're going to make this point quickly. When we help someone physically and offer nothing to them spiritually, we have really only given them a very small temporal deed. You know, it is a fact that Jesus helped so many people physically. But He always brought around that physical act to glorify the spiritual needs and the spiritual solutions in people's lives. In other words, when He healed individuals, He helped them not only see physical things, He helped them see a Savior. When they saw the power that Jesus gave to them to be well, they also saw a powerful God that could make them well spiritually. Friends, there's something wrong with me if my only idea of benevolence is I want to do good for people because it makes me feel good. How many times have we said that? How many times have, have we heard others say that? Oh, I just love doing good things for other people. It makes me feel good. Have we helped that person not only with a physical need, but have we helped them see God? Because if we miss that opportunity, we've missed the greatest power that is involved in benevolence. In John the 6th chapter where Jesus fed the 5,000, that night, remember, He went up to pray and His disciples went across on the boat. And all of that group saw the disciples leave, but not Jesus leave. The next morning, Jesus had walked across on the water. They looked for Jesus. They couldn't find Him. And then later on in John 6, they would go to the other side and they find Jesus again. And as they approach Jesus, Jesus gives them these very strong words. Look at 26 and 27. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek Me not because you saw all the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Now I want you to think of this setting. Yesterday, He looked upon this crowd of 5,000 with compassion, benevolence, and He said, we've got to offer these people food. The very next day, He's challenging them. You followed me over here just for the food. I want to tell you about bread of life that's far more important than the bread that sustains us physically. Now many of us, if we were in the middle of helping someone benevolently one day, and then we heard someone speak to them in that way the second day, we might even get offended ourselves. I can't believe you talked like that to them. They needed this and this and now, friends... We always need to speak the truth in love, but the point is, the point is, a good deed alone does not magnify God. We're going to have to accompany some invitations with those good deeds. We're going to have to accompany some good words for the Lord with those deeds. I'm all for us taking a pie to a neighbor that's hurting, but can't we say something while we're there that glorifies God? If we don't, 
All we have done is a small temporal deed. And where will that person be for an eternity? But did you notice the final thing? And as we look at this next slide, this is where we'll pick up tonight. We see the deeds that Jesus did. We saw that He said, coming out of Isaiah, that He was there to heal the brokenhearted, to give liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind. He was there to be able to provide for those, liberty for those who had been oppressed. Those were the things coming out of Isaiah that prophesied of the ministry of Jesus. But then look at other teachings in the New Covenant that we'll go in depth tonight. But just think about who are the needy. When we look in in Luke, the 10th chapter, the question was, who is our neighbor? And what was taught? It was taught about the man that was robbed and left half dead on the side of the road. That person in need that was a stranger, even not even of the same nationality. That was the person Jesus said was someone in need. That was a neighbor that we ought to benevolently serve. When we look in James, the second chapter, he's not teaching there that they shouldn't have showed respect to the rich. He's saying, sure, show respect to the rich. But in the same way in your church services, show that same respect to the poor also. So who is it that's in need? The rich and the poor. When we look in Matthew, the 25th chapter, we find out it's those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, those that are naked, those that are sick, those that are in prison, even those that are strangers to us. They are people that are in need. And James, the first chapter, the last verse in the chapter, verse 27, we learn that it's widows and it's orphans that we ought to go with open eyes to see their needs. Friends, the opportunities are abundant. And let's pray that you and I have open eyes to fulfill the needs. Not because of what it does for us, but because our Lord said to do it. Let's fulfill needs in such a way that it glorifies God, not us. And then let's make sure that we realize this simple fact. You can't talk about benevolence without talking about doing something. We have to be in action. We have to be ready to give something, to give our time, to give of our possessions, to give of our energy. We can't be benevolent without giving. This morning, Jesus gave His life as a ransom for us. He gave the most benevolent, generous gift that's ever been offered. And He gave it because we were in debt and couldn't pay our own debt. This morning, if you're separated from God because of your sin, there's been a payment paid. Won't you receive that gift? If you've never been baptized in Christ for the mission of your sins, won't you begin that relationship with God today as a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men? And be baptized to wash those sins away. Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost the focus. Maybe you've let a lot of opportunities go by that you shouldn't have let go by. And maybe you've done some things that you shouldn't have done. This morning is a time to get back on track. Put your focus back on God and let the past be the past. But please note, 
before we put the past behind us, we need forgiveness of it. You need to repent and confess sins, and let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any